Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 18th of December 2023. Our last podcast in 2023, which is quite a sobering thought. Another year goes by. And I will say that I went outside a little while ago with the guys and said, right, come on, let's have some positive messages for the for the last podcast of the year. To which I got a pretty rubbish positive response. So at the end of this, I'll make something up myself, I think. But uh, other than the usual eat less, do more exercise. Yeah, anyway. So let's just go straight through prices because um, you might as well come out with the really lame stuff first. Feed barley is worth 150 for Jan. I can't see it being worth much less than that in the new year, so don't do anything with that. Malting barley, perfect stuff, 240 for Feb. Again, I think there's life in that market, so the whole of the advice on every commodity in this, don't sell it this side of Christmas, I think. Christmas might have a funny movement. It sometimes has a, le- a lot less people trading it. It gives a, a few people the opportunity to perhaps push it in one direction or another for their own ends. Um, in my opinion, you know, so if it got pushed up, I think it would be a sell. I think if it got pushed down too far, I think everyone would come to a complete stop anyway. So I don't see a lot happening, but it, it has a history in the December week and the, the interim between Christmas and New Year. I mean, it will be probably flat and probably going in a direction on about seven lots and everyone will read lots into it, but there's nothing really to, to be said there. I better go through the rest of the prices and I've done molten barley, feed barley. Oilseed rate three fifty for Feb, harvest three fifty two. Again, that's such a rubbish looking crop. You know, we are clearly importing bucket loads into the UK. We don't produce enough, and yet the price doesn't go up. So read into your own uh, minds how that is replaced, and whether those people use neonics or not. Feed wheat. Let's talk about that. Really unexciting. January one hundred seventy five x. Pretty, pretty low by recent standards. Yeah, there's nothing particularly to cling to. May, 185x, so 10 quid if you've got the storage. 190x for July, that's exciting. A milling wheat, 240x for Jan, that's pretty pretty groovy, isn't it? What's that? That's uh, £65 premium. Harvest feed wheat, 187 delivered, or 182x. That doesn't really inspire anybody either, does it? Especially bearing in mind your wheat crop is underwater and looking yellow or hasn't been planted and is still in the seed bag in the barn. So, yeah, I would suggest that the new crop price on the basis of the size of the crop coming is not a sell either. But that's, you know, a long-term game to be played. You know, if you look at prices in November onwards, it starts getting towards 200 quite soon after then and and yeah it's on paper if you had a decent yield you make a profit is it going to be a decent yield at the moment that doesn't look likely but again I think we'll start with our positivity here that the weather does always 
it's kind of level itself out. There will be another day when it's you can get on the land. There will be another day when you put something in the right conditions. You've got to make the right decisions when those moments come along. If, if it isn't dry until mid-March, then you aren't going to be planting any more wheat, are you? That you've got stored up, you, but you've got the seed there for next year. You know, plant spring barley or spring wheat or something like that. But the, the point being, it's it's very depressing at the moment and stuck out on farm every day, digging gullies in fields to let water off or clearing ditches or clearing pipes in ditches just to give your plants half a moment's breathing space is depressing, cold, miserable work. You come in, you're miserable, your family know you're miserable so they avoid you and all that stuff. It's, it's, it is thankless, merciless, miserable etc but you know um some sometimes those same fields with the sun shining and everything looking really fantastically brilliant in the spring makes you feel completely different and those days aren't very far away otherwise advice from the old person is would be stop listening to the news it's it's completely biased whoever presents it to you and bluntly who wants to hear about all sorts of people being slaughtered on television every single day in the end i don't know where it takes us maybe you get a a snippet of news occasionally but largely i think it's best to avoid it because there's nothing on there that's going to make you feel particularly happy 2023 was a trump-free year Uh, we've got two elections we've got the american election and we will probably have one in this country as well that should be a right laugh yep we shall see what happens with that can i give wise advice to young types i know a good one a really good one for the grain trade specifically try working with each other wherever you possibly can where you like do stuff share a boat or just help each other with fixings or deliveries and don't do the thing that i did in my 20s where posturing and trying to beat someone and be better than them and i'll catch them out contractually and all that crap Do you know what? It was a miserable time. I didn't like it. I was being taught how to do things in a way that I didn't really agree. And I've found with over the years, without any doubt, if you can be user friendly and we're user friendly on our futures deliveries, on stuff that we do, where we try and enhance other people's profits while perhaps helping our own. If both parties win, it's not about the other person losing. It's about you winning And if you have a win and it works really well and you make more money, then so what if someone else makes more money as well? So just kind of rise above some of the territorial stuff and, yeah, work with each other. Do the Norfolk dinner thing and enjoy each other's company. Yeah, I think with that, I really appreciate anyone who listens to this podcast. It's a strange phenomenon, as I've said before, but... It's become something that enables us to pass our thoughts very openly about what we think the market's going to do. And largely over a five-year span, we've been right. There's been some good advice amongst that with a few howlers. But largely, it's been good sound stuff. We genuinely say what we genuinely think is going to happen. And it seems to work for us. We have a lot of supporters verbally, email, phoning in, whatever, saying, great, carry on, Andrew. It's a force for good. And one or two farmers believe, actually, we're a force for good on, on things like this electronic passport or making people at least debate the issue because it seems to be pushed under the table regardless and it's going to go through so stuff like that i think we have a a reason to be i think the podcast continues so yep you're stuck with us for a bit longer bluntly i think we all enjoy it really i certainly do as a proper ego trip anyway with that thank you so much for listening uh keep listening in 24 and have a great christmas and we will catch you when the sun shines again thank you thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
The King's Head Caldershaw welcomes you to come and try our new menu and enjoy the fantastic character of this 17th century inn, which has recently been lovingly updated. The log fire will be on whilst you enjoy our menu, which has all the hearty warm classics you would expect from your local country pub, as well as an exceptional range of a la carte dishes, all prepared by head chef Lawrence Gurney. With excellent wine menu to match, we know you won't be disappointed. Book to avoid disappointment and we look forward to welcoming you at the King's Head Cultural soon. And now it's time for the farm chat. So this is the Doing Grain Christmas special because the recording goes out on the 18th and the following week's Christmas Day. So uh, I have with me today the full squad of Ben. Hello. Josh, hello. Joe, hello. Ho, 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 it's Webby. <laughs> and Webby's wearing a special Christmas shirt, everyone. Have you noticed he grabbed the mic instantly when you wouldn't let him say to you? It's a country shirt. He'd never be able to pull it off with his ginger hair. It'd be too clashy. <laughs> or trashy. Uh, anyway... So, right, we've got a lot of things, actually very grown-up things to talk about. In the middle of all of these uh, podcasts that you guys have been recording, there has been some really interesting stuff coming out and some very good feedback. We've got two in the bank for the early part of the new year, which is along the same theme of a number of things we're talking about today. So this isn't just going to be childish beer drinking, but it is going to be beer drinking amongst the conversation. And we haven't had a beer for quite a long time. Well, we have had a lot of beers, but not on here, have we? No, so at some point during this, you have to say what you're drinking. And I, ironically... I'm drinking Bitter Old Bustard from Barsham Breweries. Yeah, it's a local one, isn't it? It's a good beer, that one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, anyway, right. So what should we start with? There's a number of things that have incensed us, stroke me, stroke everybody, in the last few days. So we're going to start on the subject of vegans, aren't we? Because there's been an announcement today which Ben is going to tell you about. Well, it just I just thought it was fascinating that, you know, we've now, on the vegan business side heather mills company has gone into administration v bytes and i just thought it was very interesting to see how things have changed because the bbc was reporting that beyond meat which stocked in supermarkets and supplies mcdonald's and yeah sorry supplies lots of supermarkets and mcdonald's sales had fallen by a third over the previous three months sausage maker heck had 10 versions of its meat-free sausages and it's put it down to two blooming heck Blooming Hick and Pret-a-Manger has closed half of its vegetarian and vegan-only outlets. And the interesting thing here, which obviously we're going to go on to discuss in further, is the fact that if you have a vegan vegetarian product, it is actually very expensive to produce, and you are relying on an awful lot of soy, palm, and other products that are incredibly price sensitive. Totally agree. I think one thing that might skew it is soon as they're going to be pushing Veganuary, which is something I'm sure we all can't stand going into the new year. Good point, yeah. Well, I mean, it's multi-processed food, and there's also now a reaction to multi-processed food. It's clearly having an impact on people's health, right, with their sugars and stuff added, and I'm sure they aim at being healthy. But when you process something, you have an impact on the dynamic of the nutrient value, do you not? Yeah, and, and also the products like we tried those sausages, the What's it? By heck are they called? Mm. Yeah, they're not great. So, I mean, if they're more expensive, yeah, I can see how they're not going off the shelves that quickly. There's also, fundamentally, the nutrient density of that food, of soy and various other sort of basic products, even to the extent of looking at, you know, other carbohydrates and things, is really poor. And so what you get in, you know, let's say a kilo of of meat compared to a kilo of soy or any other sort of food that's supposed to be sort of protein based etc they have so few nutrients it's rubbish 
and it's just a huge waste. And, and, and not only that, Joe, but here we are, we're sitting here and there is a cost of living crisis. People can't afford to eat. So pushing all this crappy vegan vegetarian stuff, which is hellishly expensive, isn't going to help anyone. It's no. ridiculous. Well, it's going to help. Let's move on to the dynamic of beef now, because okay. the thing that got us all going recently was the Channel 4 documentary <coughs> on beef production. Mm. And the bit on Good Morning Britain as well was another bit, wasn't it? There was a couple yeah, of... but there's a little bit of kickback there, and he didn't yeah. answer the question. So I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I'll try my hardest. So a programme on Channel 4 put together by Adi Adiptan. Adi Apatan. Yeah, well, anyway. So he he was particularly happy with himself about the information that he'd put out about how terrible beef was and how we could save the planet. But the figures that he used were incredibly skewed in the sense that he was using figures that related to rainforest loss. So 23% of his figures went straight out the window just like that because UK grass-fed beef is on fields that have been grass for a millennia. I think we've had a similar conversation before this on the past. The the American feedlots, you know, the, the huge kind of scale of that production is significant i get it but a uk based kind well of we talk about with liz, when we talk about liz trust and the australian deal because they've got feedlots there they import corn they import soya mm. drag it in feed them and yeah. then you know kill them freeze them uh, josh got us onto a very good video um josh you're gonna have to fill this on this harry's farm yeah harry so harry metcalf is a guy that used to own evo magazine he farms next door to jeremy clarkson and he is kind of a motoring journalist journalist and he bought a farm after he sold his evo magazine and he does a series of very good youtube yeah kind of you know short videos about why farmers do certain things and i think whilst he's a little bit dry factually he's very very interesting and he went through a lot of these figures i thought the one on this subject was brilliant Uh, honestly they're all i think they're all very very good this he just basically shot it down completely the the interesting thing i thought and i was unaware of this but he went through the analysis of where the beef we consume comes from and he said actually i think he said only two percent two percent comes from brazil or south america exactly and i think on on that there's a big feedlot issue he said his cows quite literally just live on grassland all year round most of our imported products come from ireland which is similar grass-fed beef yeah, I mean, the thing that struck me was because the the methane is the argument that always comes yeah. up. And there's two things come up about the methane. One was on his podcast or his YouTube video where it's a cycle. The cow eats the grass. The grass then produces methane inside the cow and up it goes in the air. But yeah. because the cow is eating grass, it is absorbing carbon. Yeah. If you cut grass, grass continues to grow. If you let grass just grow, it grows, it seeds, it stops. That's its function. Yeah. It doesn't keep sucking in carbon because it goes through its life cycle if you have a cow eating it continuously it's like cutting your grass if you keep cutting grass you keep cutting your grass and in the end you use much much more carbon much more grass so the figures that our friend was showing didn't take into account the actual carbon sink that grass is and and once carbon sequestration would go down significantly if we weren't grazing our pastures 65 percent of uk farming is with grassland because you can't put a tractor on it because it's too steep interestingly the northern irish government did a study recently where they did a uh, they got a company which is well known called agricarbon to basically benchmark the soil carbon within northern irish farmers and the farmers that came out with the lowest in fact carbon negative were dairy farmers and beef farmers 
Which then leads on to the other methane fact was the highest density of methane collected in the UK is... Funny enough, London, I saw that. It was yeah, really London. interesting. And that's where the most vegans but, 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 are. They're farting a yeah, lot of the time. But the highest, the most densely populated area with cattle... What's the islands? The north of Scotland, northeast Scotland. Of Shetland. Is it the Shetlands? Actually, it was just a, it was a moderate level. Yeah. So it was quite interesting. You know, it's all those vegans. Mind you, they won't be eating so much of it now. There's not so much uh, vegan food available. So, well, now they can't afford it either. But I mean, you know, Ian's saying it's interesting. It's actually depressing. You know, here is a guy getting lots of airtime, touting absolute rubbish. Yeah, it, and it has a massive impact on communities and on people that are trying to do something that's gone on for a, ever since yeah. ever. It's ill-informed, poor yeah, it's journalism. it's just lazy, lazy journalism. That's fine, which, which is fine. If you've got the ear of people on television, then you've got the... So clearly he's a, a popular guy who's been on lots of television programmes and, and his carbon footprint with his travel show was incredibly good, but <laughs> I'm sure he rode the way there. But the dynamic of going out and shooting a load of people who basically are doing nothing like what he says. It's a false accusation. Mm. It's almost it's a defamation of character of the people who are actually doing that job because he's wrong. Yeah. And no one's come back from Channel 4 and gone, oops, we were very wrong on our figures. We were misleading because you never get that comeback, do you? No. And I rate Channel 4. I think Channel 4 is a, a, a force for good generally. Yeah, but that was just very, it was ill thought through journalism. Yeah. Have we covered vegans now? I mean, there's not that many vegans listening to the Doing Grain podcast, I doubt, are there? I don't know, perhaps they could write in. Yeah. Let us know. Probably. Anyway, so <laughs> certainly customers, I'd be doubtful. So that's one subject we've covered. On to the next. What should we talk about next? Podcasts recently have been along the line of, you know, farm use change. You're one with yeah. David Barnard, his own butchery and so on. But we've got some in the bag that are coming up in the new year, haven't we? Yeah, and the two in the new year, I think, are going to be very... You know, there's the solar panel farm. So my man who helps get planning for solar farms, it's, as Ian would say, his is very dry, his podcast, but he gets all the stats in there. And then Webby's done a good one with, uh, who was it, Ian? Well, I had a uh, land agent on. And so we were discussing, yeah, change of use and who's buying farms and moving and shaking and seeing what's happening in the sector. Because we did get wind of some stories of farms that were changing hands for carbon offset, I'd say, or rewilding, really. But farm sales don't seem to be happening amongst farmers anymore. All of a sudden, it's all outside people. No, that's, we, we did touch on that. There's money from other areas that's coming into farming. Well, one of David Barnard's neighbours had been bought by an organisation who are going to rewild it. Good grade two. 700 land. acres, of, yeah, yeah, and they're going to rewild it, and, and that will become a carbon capture, whatever it is, estate. But with what you're going to hear with Ian and the solar farms... That is interesting. 1.6 hectares of land produces about one megawatt of power, roughly. But they cling to this term called BMV, best and most versatile use of agricultural land. And the claim is that if it's grade one agricultural land, it will never get solar planning. But in reality, some of it does. And it seeps into even grade two, you know, and and there we are going to see dramatic land use change. And certainly for this coming year, the solar projects, the enormous ones, the 800 megawatt ones, the you know 1,000 megawatt ones, are definitely in the pipeline. And I still come back to this thing of this is a threat to UK food and feed security that the government 
are asleep at the wheel. No two ways. Yeah, and we, we've all sat down with an economist that we probably can't name, but he's very interesting. And he was saying that, yeah, greener energy is getting bigger and bigger through change of use in farmland. But it's only just keeping up today or keeping up with what we actually need in our economy because we're needing more and more energy. You know, one million litres of water can create one tonne of lithium for everyone who's got their electric cars. So well done there. But the point is that there is probably going to be an increase to go into solar. And the other thing, actually, someone filled up their car with an electric charger earlier, 20p a mile it cost, which is probably more expensive than petrol or diesel. Yeah, I was actually looking at getting an electric car. And the reality of that is the government's encouraging me to do it. If I get a company car, which I haven't had for 30 years, I don't get, I get a very minimal tax on it. And more importantly, the company can buy the car and write it off against tax in year one. All right, tax avoidance is uh, everybody's normal game. I have to say, from a, from an individual's perspective, that's incredibly appealing. As a business, yeah, I remember we did the number, I mean, it's crudely 10 grand's worth of savings on a car. Yeah. Quite a lot of money. But the reality is, from what Josh has said, about a million litres of water for one tonne of lithium, it's very clear that electric cars are not the answer. I don't know if anyone's... Well, what, ben, I think you quoted me the other day that you're only, what's it, carbon neutral after 100,000 miles on an electric car, isn't it? Which is just nuts. It isn't going to happen, is it? So, you know, if I got one, I'd probably drive it to work. Because Tessa's got a a hybrid one, and it says it does 30 miles on the battery. You do about 18. The truth of it is absolutely rot. And then the petrol engine tells you it's going to do another 450 miles. It does about 250. I don't know whether the dashboards are geared like the old VW testing a few years ago where they cheated, but it's complete bollocks. Well, and, and the other thing is, of course, in extreme cold or extreme heat... Electric car batteries, you'll run them down even faster. Yeah, well, the person I met, I'm sure they won't mind, I'm not going to say they are, but they had to stop halfway, so it's 20p a mile just for the energy, not including depreciation or any of that stuff, so it's probably more than that. And he, they had to drive back now without the heating on, all the air conditioning on, and without the windscreen wipers, just to make it back. The 50-mile journey, he says it does 80, will probably more do like. So it truly is a false economy. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It is the same as everything else in this world. We're all faking it, aren't we? Let's face it, electric cars are not the answer. We're gonna, there's no way people can actually charge them in the cities anyway. You have to plug them overnight, all night. It's nuts. I've already used this phrase on another podcast last week. I said, this is seamless, this. Emperor's new clothes. Oh, look, what a great idea. No emissions. My ass. They're much heavier. They're giving much more emissions out from the rubber on the roads, aren't they? Mm. Let alone what they're doing to the roads. And they drive around for free. So they use the roads for free, like a cyclist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I think that might change. <laughs> Cyclists. That wasn't on the agenda. But <laughs> We love cyclists. We've done vegans. We've got to do cyclists. No, go on, carry on. We'll leave them alone this week. No, but it's just, I mean, you know, we're sitting here, you know, the green energy agenda is definitely a whitewash, greenwash. Veganism and giving up meat, it definitely is not the answer to solving the world's problems by a long stretch. You know, all the, and then, you know, as I say, we've got this government who, well, they're useless. They really are. Let's not be, we're always, we bash the government and it okay. has been the conservatives. We've got a new government going to come in within about a year's time, approximately, and... Are they, whoever comes in next, going to be any different? Sorry, can I just come back a stage? The reason food feed security is becoming more of an issue is because we left Europe and we abandoned the CAP, the CAP policy, Mm -hmm. which was very straightforward. You have land, you farm it, here's a payment, done. And the UK government have now come in and gone, we're going to streamline it, we're going to make it more eco-friendly, we're going to do all this. 
and it's confused people and it's causing more issues than the EU ever did. And as we, we're trying to highlight week after week, everyone's taking their eye off the ball in terms of the land is being used and abused in all sorts of other products and washing away with coastal erosion to boot. So it's, yeah, we're worried. We're worried about our future. And one of the points you made about AHDB, there's another seamless little one. Oh, on no, yeah, subject. that's what it's AHDB. Yeah, well, we were talking about the levy going up. Was it, is it 25% it's gone up? Yeah, the levy will, hasn't been voted through yet. That'll go through in the new year. But I think the government will just rubber stamp it and save the HDB. Yes, you can now pass the levy increase on to farmers. Is that what, how it works, is it? The farmers can't vote. Turkeys and Christmas. But it was proposed 25 or 26 percent. I forget exactly the multiple. But ironically, within the next two years, we might see 25% come out of agricultural or arable production. We not we will we will yeah yeah I mean this coming so home clearly the crop yeah. is going to be you know so the AHDB pot is going to be from cereals there's sixty yeah. percent of production for this coming year twenty four harvest yeah but but solar is not going to have any levy money on it is it no no that's, so, so the then stewards, there's a land stewards, on top. stewardship yeah. won't have yeah. any levy all of it you know it's the scarce income that they've got let's hope they send spend it on sensible things like yeah all right I'm going to do it I'm going to do it I've got to do it one more week. Can I guess what's going to come up then? Yeah, you can. Yeah, go on, have a guess. Is it, by any chance, electronic passport? Yeah. <laughs> because I asked a question last week about how much has been spent already. Is that in the figures they're showing us? I, I don't believe it is. Who's doing all this work? Who did the business proposal? And don't pretend that AHDB didn't do loads of that work. They did. Yeah. They did loads why of Why are they so keen? Why is AHDB, boys, why are you so keen on it? Are you being blindwashed by the 18% trade? You know, you, oh, we must have that. Oh, yes, we'll be much more efficient. It's going to cost more money. You're spending other people's money. I'm not going to name any names, but obviously Webby and I were at the Bourse the other week and I, I stood talking to a flour miller who told me what a great thing the e-passport was. And then when I drilled into it, and I'm going to see this flour miller again and he listens to the podcast, I know. Yeah, there was a little bit of, oh, I didn't realise that. You know, who's funding it? Oh, well, it'll just, you know, it will get paid for. No, no, it won't. Well, no, the farmers are going to pay for it, and they're blindly going to be led down the road by their own union in the UK. It's, it's, and they've been told it's good, and they've done a lot of thinking, clearly. Yeah. Which they haven't. And it's just, oh, man. I mean, I'm, the last podcast, obviously, you know, I thought the weather thing with Joe was great. But obviously, I sat there listening to you rant about the e-passport again, and I was like, oh, no. I'm a very tense man at the moment. My wife's broken her leg, and I'm being like head nurse, and I'm rubbish. Yeah, at it. Right. And I bite up, and I don't, you know. But there's a point at which I was like, I'm ready to boil. So give me a mic just after I've had a little bit of like, that's in the wrong place. You haven't done that. What about that? You know, you know how tough it is for us women. I was a bit up there last week. I can, I you were, but a lot of the points you made were correct about the e-passport and it is still very poorly thought through and a 57 it's page going piece. to cost more money and it's not gonna mend anything it, the thing works already yeah. it doesn't need to be mended that's the point don't spend money on stuff you don't need to spend money on it's a basic business principle isn't it but also yeah whose money are they spending you know as ian has said the hdb livy for this coming harvest will be down again because the crop size is down. They've asked for a levy increase. None of that is allowed to go onto the e-passport because that's not in the business case. You know, it needs to just be parked and rethought through. Here we are, complaining. Lithium, one million litres of water for one tonne of lithium. 
that's just everybody must realise that that water can't be used again. It's kind of been screwed up by the lithium, I assume. Or can they not recycle it? I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions. Everyone's looking puzzled. Good. So, what would be our solution? What would be our solution to land use? Let's go back to the European Union. <laughs> Feed we. <laughs> No, I don't think necessarily that's the answer. A lot of shock a few, but, uh, you know, if the UK government's got autonomy, what can it do? I think it needs to have at least two members of, of the Cabinet having a conversation about how much land do we use? Can we increase our own food supply? What can we do to make that happen? They should be benchmarking, looking at all the soil types, put it against the worst soil types in theory, and taking long strategic term views. But they're not going to because all they want to be is re-voted in in four years' time. Yeah, I accept that. So we've come up, our manifesto is let's focus on food production on the land that is really good at food production, right? Let's say, no, we aren't going to pay you money for flowers on those fields because we need that food. And we're going to encourage UK consumers to understand what shite they're eating. In other words, every piece of meat that is in a, the bottom of a pie at Tesco has, you know, oh, it's Australian or it's Brazilian or it's Thai chicken in there. Therefore, there's a big Thai badge and everyone who sees you with it in your shopping bag knows that you're a scuddy person because you're eating something full of crap. That same label should be applied to vegan food as well, by the way. And Frey Bentos? Well, it's Argentinian beef, isn't it? Yeah, no, good, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like No, no, it's all about labelling. On um, X this morning, that's modern of me, there was a thing about Tesco having label with the Union Jack on it with brown demerara sugar, and it was produced from sugar cane, oh. and it's got a Union Jack on it. And then it, there's this little thing saying, well, the Tesco work for UK farmers to, to produce blah, 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 blah. And it was just someone, someone with a half a brain cell from the city somewhere didn't realise that sugar cane isn't grown in the UK, and just like stick a label on there, Union Jack, yeah, we love farmers, yeah. So as long as they're allowed to get away with that, yeah. they should be fined 10 million quid for that one bag of sugar, because... If the government was to inform the public about the food they're eating, you would see an increase in the food from the UK. It's all very well saying that you know, the general population can't do any thinking. Years ago, there was these public information programmes from in the 1970s. You look them up on YouTube. I, I watched with my daughter, Lily, the other day. There's, there's one, this bloke, he's basically in a field... And it's a public information about what to do in the countryside code. It's for people like Scott. So there he is sitting having a picnic and his wife's called Petunia. And, he's, and he picks up rocks off a stone wall and he throws them and he keeps throwing them. And they're talking about the dog having a lovely time chasing the sheep. And then he hits a bottle. He goes, oh, I got that one with that one. Like that. And just goes through. And who's that bloke with a purple face jumping up and down? It's a classical farmer face. And all the things these people did wrong are clearly earmarked. So in the 70s, the government taught people about the countryside or about drowning or about the RNLI or all these things have the public information we don't see those things nowadays and the government has to lead everything including or especially education about food if you got people labeling things very clearly this is from Australia it would have a stigma to it and education about what food is from this country as opposed to the Addie's thing on telly is that's misinformation. This is true information. You could educate people and you would suddenly see 70% UK produce or maybe 80% UK produce being consumed. That's got to be the goal of government, hasn't it? Yes, or a carbon tax, a carbon figure against it might hone people's interest in it a bit more. I'd like to think that actually people would be that swayed, but ultimately we know from a conference that Josh and I went to quite a few years ago that ultimately the person walking into Tesco is highly price sensitive. So even though 
it would say the right thing and everyone would feel like they're doing the right thing. Ultimately, we just need to have a situation where they can buy the food at a cheaper rate and those items coming in are taxed appropriately. Yeah, but on, the, on top of that, Joe, and, and Barnard hit the nail on the head, if you have less bureaucracy involved in the UK food chain, it is cheaper to run and farmers can be more competitively priced to all their Australian-American imports who don't have that bureaucracy that the UK farmer does. Well, that reminds me of one of our farmers who just paid £800 for the pleasure of filling in a 630-questioned farm assurance test, you know, his annual test. 630 questions. His red tractor. Yeah, red tractor. Yeah. Right? So, and he paid 800 quid for the pleasure. For what? So, Tesco and Sheffield label on to go, this is fine British chicken, aren't we good with British farmers? Sneak loads in the pies. I mean, you pick on Tesco's because of that bloomin' sugar thing today, because that annoyed me. So, but, you know, name your own supermarket. But, quite rightly, he was then asked a question about mass balance. At the end of the thing, he goes, right, you know, what's your mass balance? What do you produce? Hang on, that's his... What relevance is that? He's supplying a product. Mm. Why is it relevant that he has... Why has he got to answer that to the people who are talking about his production, his assurance? Mm. There's no logic to how much he produces. They should be able to work it out from all the questions they've asked him. He said, no, I'm not telling you. And so, consequently, he didn't get his red two... He's assured, but he didn't get his red two. So his, his wheat can't go into biofuels, yeah. which is the only penalty there is. But he said, will it affect me? And I said, no, no, we've got markets that can that live without that. But but the point is, he was making a point. He was definitely got the blood up on it, hasn't he? And so, yeah, I ask you that question out there. Again, another reason why UK farmers are struggling is because they're paying 800 quid to answer 630 questions, which takes a whole day. And the people they're competing with abroad don't get asked any questions at all. But it's not, uh, yeah, it's not just those questions, is it, Andrew? Because there's there's all the legislation that goes with those questions, like having your sprayer door, I don't know, lead-lined or whatever they want now. Well, our two granary workers had to do a two-day course to be allowed to use the knapsack sprayer around our yard to spray weeds. You can go and spray your own garden, but you can't spray around our yard with weeds because you're a business. That's mental. Yeah, you can actually just go to B&Q and just go and buy 50 of the little spray cans and just use it. Man, that is but coming back to your, you know, what else can the government do? I mean, they can encourage people to run their cars for longer. You don't need a new car every three years, do you? I don't know. I thought, oh, no, Josh does. Yeah, Josh does. <laughs> I mean, the hero on that is, is Joe. How many miles have your cars done, Joe? I think collectively? Collectively, nearly half a million. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. We are... a collecting cars in the yard now <laughs> yeah we've got quite a few for sale actually <laughs> we have got quite a few we've got a defender an old defender we've got a new, new defender for the right price we've got a jag we've got a jag eat oh, what have you got f pace is that a runner well only if you drive it short distances <laughs> one one, yeah, one lady owner there's no nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all there's <laughs> a lot of spare parts though aren't yeah, there, there is yeah spares and repair <laughs> actually while we're on what is the plan with that what is the plan oh, with that vehicle don't know yet and you must know. It's can't just. Well, I was going to wee buy any car the other day, and it's uh, the second-hand car market has nosedived quick in the wheat market. Right. So, so you're gonna... expecting a recovery, are you? Well, someone said to me the other day that apparently Feb's meant to be will get out of the Christmas lull. So no, that's because he's trying to sell his car, and then the car salesman was like, "I don't want your car, but if you come back in February, I might want it." So they've just lied, lied to him as well. <laughs> just so, yeah. on that, I can't see the second-hand car market. 
going up, can you? No, I don't think it's one of those things people naturally think about buying before Christmas, do they? Yeah, obviously. Well, but the thing is no, also the, the registration. Regi- I get that, Joe. I'm not... Yeah, I, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> very very uh, easy also. <laughs> <laughs> Bite up. But no, yeah. it's just it's, it's one of those things. Who buys a car at Christmas? You don't. Well, yeah. we buy any car, do you? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, when, right, right, what are you drinking, boys? Just, just tell everybody what you're drinking, just to be, just to do the. I have got Norfolk Honey Ale uh, Norwich Brewery. Never heard of it, but I'm going to say it. Talked about this in the podcast. Certain ales get to me. I can feel this one. Uh, my bright red. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've gone a bit woogie. <laughs> It's nice. It's, I've got the same one, and it's, it's, it's right. Drink yeah. It's a five percenter. Josh and I have gone for the Elm Tree Golden Pale Ale, and I like it. Yeah, I drank ours, and we were bashing vegans sort of, but both mine have been our vegans. So. Let's hope. Yeah. Okay. So with the thought in mind, this is the Christmas edition. As I say, it goes out on the eighteenth, and the next one's twenty fifth. I don't think we're going to have a podcast out until early January because it kind of doesn't fit in between mm. so you know have we got any special Christmas messages to our customers everybody no well enjoy your Christmas break mm. no we could what about a really sincere message of you know the usuals appreciate all the business we love our customer base see you next year do we have to say that I mean because they must know that well you'd like they to they know we love we love you you customers out there we love you and the people who buy from us we love you even more than that because it like yeah. takes the product away and you give us money for it yeah, exactly. so yeah we wouldn't be here without you we would not Farmers, be consumers, doing what we're doing even the enemy in the trade like everyone this podcast is green. only here because you trade with us yeah. you are responsible for this yeah. product and brokers can't forget the brokers loads of brokers anyone in the trade We'll leave you till the new year to thank everyone in. Oh, you, you, you love spreading it about, don't you, Webby? <laughs> Who's buying their wives what for Christmas? Because Webby has absolutely nailed it this year. Come on, Ian. What have you bought, Izzy? Oh, you can't say, can you? Well, she does listen to this podcast. So you can't say? No. Tess doesn't listen she's got, to it. She's got a great surprise coming. I've got a... <laughs> <laughs> what I saw of it, Yeah. <laughs> But Josh, it's the stuff you haven't seen in the small parcel. What made me laugh is when it turned up yesterday at the office. What were we talking about? And the present. Oh, right, okay. That Webby then went, oh, I know what I'll do to make this more interesting. I'll wrap it all separately. It's like, great, so she can open three shit gifts. <laughs> Including batteries and her own wrapping. <laughs> oh, this one's crap. Oh, this one's really crap. I'm, I'm going to go with Ian's suggestion for Tessa. I'm going to buy her a head torch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that my she, suggestion? She went, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just chucked you under a bus, mate. <laughs> yeah. Girls out there, if you're listening, don't do blue-collar work, okay? Oh. <laughs> it's dangerous. That's why we have to do it. <laughs> Have you done your Christmas shopping? No, I haven't done any. I've been oh, you've nursing. Been busy. You've been busy. Bloody right. Anyone else? Oh, Am I Christmas... the only thoughtful one in here? Yeah, that's actually <laughs> for half. Killing the planet by ordering stuff off Amazon, yeah. No, I, I, which I hate. <laughs> that's a whole new subject. Let's not go there. We've got our Christmas lunch on the 20th, haven't we? We're going to yeah. go and have a... In the Cantley direction, which we'll probably be out and about. We were talking about having our December podcast walk mm. in... Norwich, that's been scuppered by the mm. test situation, unfortunately, because it was a very good concept of going for a walk in Norwich. It would have been about start one end of 
Yeah, uh, great, yeah. You know, St. Benedict's and... On the Riverside Walk with a few, conveniently a few beers along the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't. Great. So, yeah, because, but, but next year we'll kind of put that as a little mental thought in there that yeah. our podcast walk in December will be, be not very long. I don't think we get many attendees. Long in terms of hours, but short yeah, in terms of distance. <laughs> But no, with that, I think I'll speak for all of us and say, you know, if you do listen to this podcast regularly, thank you. Please keep doing it. Coming back in the new year with, we've already got two podcasts in the bag about the subject of, of losing farmland. And yeah, you know, have a great Christmas and don't drink and drive, do all the right things. And we really do appreciate all that you do with us. And uh, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich. 